So thankful to be with you as we are in our Moments That Matter series, and we'll get into that in just a moment. Today, uh, at the end of the service, if you're interested in a devotional that we put together about once every uh, year or two, uh, those devotionals are usually released just before the Christmas holidays, a great gift, Christmas gift. It's a 365-day-a-year devotional. You'd buy it for someone and uh, give it to them as a gift. These are available. I believe they're $20 a piece. They're written by 52 of the leading pastors in America. Uh, I have one week in that. I'm not a leading pastor in America, but I'm one of those guys that got us to write one of those devotionals. They're tremendously written uh, devotionals that help point people to Christ, and they're available after the service. I want to urge you to take advantage of that in the Christmas season. Give them something that lasts. Give them something that matters to them uh, and to God, and I want to encourage you to step up on that. If you have your Bibles this morning, take them and turn to Acts chapter 10 today. The title of the message is The Highway to Life. You know, all the way through the book of Acts, and really you see it in a number of places in the New Testament, you find God working on a highway. He works on roadways. He works on pathways. And it's really amazing how often you really see it. As you read through Acts, uh, you'll remember perhaps that Paul was encountered by Christ on the road to Damascus. So on a highway, moving from one place to the other, Christ encountered him. Two weeks ago, we looked at uh, a man named Philip who was he was called by God to get up and go to a road south leading into the desert, the Scripture says. And there he met an Ethiopian eunuch who was reading a scroll of Isaiah, wondering what it was all about. And, of course, Philip was able to point him to Christ. And here we have another highway. We have a highway between Joppa and Caesarea. And God is about to mobilize a guy named Peter to meet with someone named Cornelius. That's an incredible story of how God prepares people for incredible encounters with himself on highways. Highways have always been a part of my life as well. I remember when I was 20 years old, uh, my wife now, but then my fiance was 19 years old, and uh, she was driving from the Dallas-Fort Worth area to Oklahoma, where I lived, uh, to visit me. Now, back in that day, when someone got in a car and took a trip, you didn't stay uh, in contact with them from the time they left to the time they arrived because there was no such thing as a cell phone or a mobile phone. You got in the car and you trusted um, the driver and the traffic and God for about four hours while they made that trip. And so she gets in the car and goes, and I knew what time she was going to leave. I knew what time she was supposed to arrive. And about the time she had left uh, the Texas area and gotten to Oklahoma, a newsflash came on the television screen that I saw. And it was a news flash about two convicted killers that had escaped the penitentiary and they were in a car heading south on I-35. And that everybody that was planning a trip should not plan the trip uh, because they were dangerous and they were armed and the police wanted them. So, of course, I did what any 20-year-old would do who was madly in love and my valued uh, fiancé was in the car. I threw all the guns I owned in the back seat of my car and went down the highway. It was a 1976 Firebird Trans Am, and I remember I was speeding all the way down. It never occurred to me that I would be the guy that got pulled over and arrested for being an escaped convict. <laughs> Long story short, I finally saw her heading north, got behind her, escorted her home, and uh, the policeman apprehended the individuals. And uh, later on, I thought, you know, that was a kind of a foolhardy move on my part. But I loved her, and I wanted her to be safe. And so I kind of threw caution into the wind, and I went for it. You know, we've got a similar story here, except this time God is calling a man named Peter to get on a 30-mile highway and walk 
towards a man he's never met before from an entirely different culture in order to deliver some really good news to him. The man's name is Cornelius, and we'll meet both these guys in the text. Please stand with me as we read Acts 10 today, beginning in verse 1. I'm going to read the first eight verses just to get us started. And the entire chapter of Acts chapter 10 tells the story of the highway to life. Now there was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort, a devout man and one who feared God with all of his household and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. Now notice this guy. This guy is not a believer in Jesus Christ simply because he hasn't met Jesus Christ. He hasn't heard the good news, but he's a very devout, very religious man. Verse 3. About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius, and fixing his gaze on him and being much alarmed, he said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon, who is also called Peter. He is staying with a tanner named Simon, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who was speaking to him had left, he summoned two of his servants, and a devout servant of his, soldier of his, he was his personal attendant. And after he'd explained everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. We're going to stop there. We'll get into the rest of the chapter in a moment. But I want you to see it set up that God has spoken to a man who's far from God, but he wants to know God. And he's going to bring together a miraculous moment of eternal destiny. Father, in Jesus' name, speak to us. Prepare us for what you're calling us to do. Lord, you're still the miracle-working God that brings us into encounters with other people so that they may know you, the one true God. We ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Please be seated if you would. I love these highway encounters. You know, Jesus talked about the highway. Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 said there's a wide way and there's a narrow way. He said, the narrow way leads to life. But he said, the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And he goes on and says there are many on it. Many people on the highway of life, many people doing life, many people trying to live life the best way they know how, but many of them do not know God. In many ways, the highway is a highway to hell, a highway to separation from God, not a highway to be united with God. So Jesus gives that warning to his disciples and then sends him out after his resurrection. And so here's one of those guys, Peter, right now, who's learning about the incredible importance of highways and the many that are on those highways leading away from life. And just like Peter, we're going to find that God often sends us into unknown territory with all kinds of uncertainty in order to rescue people that he values highly. Now, all the way through this passage, you need to be able to see the, the love of God, the pursuit of God, the value of God, not only for Peter, but for Cornelius and his household. And even more than that, the bigger picture is Cornelius is the first Gentile believer. Apart from the Ethiopian eunuch, who was also sometimes considered the first Gentile convert, this man is the first Gentile convert who has no real knowledge of the Old Testament scriptures. And of course, today we're Gentiles who ultimately came to faith as a result of people passing the gospel down, just like Peter did to Cornelius. Big story here. There's a big, important responsibility here on the part of every believer, and there's an incredible story about how God prepares people for salvation as well. So as we look at this picture, let's notice it in two different things, two different ways. 
God is working in the life of Cornelius, and at the same time, he's working in the life of Peter. It's always that way. Whenever you know God's working in your life, whenever God's speaking to you, whenever God's preparing you for something, he's preparing someone else, often for an encounter that you're going to have with them so that you can help them know the God you know, Jesus. And so we're going to see this unfolding in our eyes. First of all, I want you to notice how God prepares a person for salvation. Let's look at Cornelius for a moment. Let's look at the centurion, the soldier, this uh, man of great reputation from Italy, part of the Italian cohort of the Roman guard. And the Bible says in the first two verses, this man at Caesarea named Cornelius, he's a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort, a devout man, one who feared God with all of his household, and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. Now just list those things. They're very simple. He was a man who was devout. He was a man who was steadfastly seeking God. That's a good way to understand that. He was devout. He was God-fearing. Now Cornelius didn't know Christ yet, but he feared God. Now have you ever used the phrase, ever heard the phrase, that's a God-fearing man? That's a God-fearing woman. We may not be talking about their faith in Christ, but rather their awareness of God. They know about God. They know about God's rights and wrongs. They know something about the Bible. This man was God-fearing. He gave alms to the Jewish people. The Bible says that he had a passion and compassion for people around him, and he gave money to help alleviate their poverty or their hunger. And then it said he prayed continually. Now think about that. Devout, God-fearing, giving alms, praying continually. You know, many of us who follow Jesus Christ may not be known for those four things. Here's a guy that did not know Jesus Christ, but he was religiously devoted. He was doing all these things. He just didn't know why. He just didn't know who he was serving. And he did not yet know who he needed to put his faith and trust in. Let me just say to you at this point uh, in the text as we walk through it, you're going to see eventually that God does all this so that Peter can come tell this man how to truly be saved. Meaning that we're not saved just because we're devout. We're not saved just because we're God-fearing. Not saved just because we give alms. Not saved because we just pray continually. That's a pretty uh, tough truth for some to hear. Because somehow, somewhere along the road of life, we sometimes hear that being good equates to being saved. Or that being devout equates to having a relationship with God. This man was religiously devoted. I'm not going to say one negative thing about this man, but this man did not have the missing piece, and that was a relationship with Jesus Christ that everyone must have in order to have eternal salvation. That's why God was mobilizing Peter because Cornelius could never, ever, apart from a gospel witness, have a true relationship with God. That's how important this is. So God is preparing Cornelius, this Gentile centurion. If you knew historically what he did, you would be very impressed. He was commander of an Italian regiment of soldiers. Up to 500 soldiers answered his every beck and call. He had a lot of prestige. He was well paid. He had high esteem, very influential. And eventually God would use all those things to make him a gateway for all the Gentiles to come to faith in Christ who came to faith in Christ after these moments. So here's a family man he wanted the best for his family. And in this life of Cornelius, he's doing all these things, but still has something missing. And we see that in the lives of so many people in the New Testament. 
Cornelius is one man, but what about the Philippian jailer? Remember him? He was the one that was responsible for Paul and Silas. And when the earthquake came and the doors were open, he feared being put to death because the prisoners were all escaping. And, and when Paul talked to him, he said, what must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved, you and your household. The Ethiopian eunuch had gone to Israel, had gone to Jerusalem to worship and was coming back in a chariot reading a scroll of the book of Isaiah. When Philip came alongside him, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how could I understand unless somebody tells me? And the Bible says, Philip opened his mouth and beginning there, he preached to him Jesus. What a great line. The woman at the well, there to get water, all by herself. The man she was living with was not her own, had five husbands before that moment, had an encounter with Jesus Christ that revealed to her that Jesus Christ alone was the Messiah. Or John chapter 3, just before the woman at the well in John 4, Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. That is a religious specialist. He was at the top of the top part of religion and the religious hierarchy. And yet he knew something was missing. And Jesus told him, you must be born again. You've got to have a spiritual new birth. You have to have a relationship, not religion. So all through the Bible, we find these kinds of people, Cornelius, the Philippian jailer, the Ethiopian eunuch, Nicodemus, woman at the well. You just keep on naming people. They all need an incredible encounter with God. And what they have in common is this. God is doing a preparatory work in their hearts. They're asking questions. They're knowing something's missing. They realize they have yet to find what will satisfy them. And while I'm talking about this, I might just ask you, what prepared you for the gospel? What is it that brought you to the place where you knew you needed something more than what you had? When you realize that you were empty, you're missing, sometimes people say, I, I went through a time of great loss, or I, I just realized how disappointing everything I was doing brought me disappointment in life. Some people say my life was literally broken, physically broken, or spiritually broken, or financially broken, or relationally broken. Some people say that they had such extraordinary success that they got to the top of the ladder and still something was missing. How did God prepare you? Because God always does a preparatory work before he brings you to salvation. He always does a work getting you ready to depend on him, to rely on him. And then in the story of, of this man, Cornelius, is a really, really rare thing. Cornelius is told by God to go find a man named Peter in order to learn the way of salvation. Now, this is really unusual. I've said before from the pulpit, you know, God doesn't command those without God to come to the church to find God. He commands us who are the church to go out to them to share with them about God through Jesus Christ. But here's an exception to that. In an age of few witnesses, where few have begun to share the good news of Christ, this is shortly after the resurrection of Christ, God tells by way of this angel, Cornelius, go find a man. I got a man for you. Now, this man's got a message for you, and this message will be the message that fills your heart and fills your soul and, and does everything for you that you need in life but don't have yet. Go find that guy. And that's exactly what happens in this encounter. Notice what God doesn't do in this passage. I, I love to point out what God doesn't do because it's kind of as an eye-opening thing. God does not reveal the message of Christ himself to a Cornelius. 
How hard would it be for God Almighty to speak to Cornelius and say, listen, my Messiah, my son died on the cross for you and rose again the third day. But God does not share the message himself with Cornelius. God also does not send an angel to preach to him. The angel knew about what Jesus had done on the cross, but the angel did not preach the message of salvation. But the third thing God does not do, he does not ignore Cornelius' prayer. Here's a man that doesn't know God yet, not really. But he's asking God for help. God says, I'll answer that prayer. I'm going to send you to a man who will tell you everything you need to know to have a relationship with me. I love that. And I love the fact that Cornelius obeyed. And then, of course, Peter obeyed. Can you imagine what it would have looked like if Peter had not been willing to go? But even there, God has to prepare Peter to be a witness. So there's a preparation on the side of Cornelius, and God is always preparing people to hear the good news of Christ. By the way, if you think that when you share about Jesus with somebody that has not been prepped before, that has not had a time of preparation or has not realized the need or is not aware of the emptiness in their life, then you're wrong. God is always preparing people whether they admit it or not. And when you go and share about Jesus being the answer to your life, often God has already been working in the life of another person. I've seen it happen over and over and over again. In other words, you're not solely responsible for their response. God is. You're just responsible for sharing the message just like Peter was. So God's preparing Cornelius. But the bulk of this text, more words are used for this than for anything else. The bulk of this text is, how does God prepare his witness? How does God prepare Peter to actually get up and get on that highway and go on a four-day trip, 30 miles walking, to share with a man he never thought he'd be talking to. And I want you to see how this unfolds. If your Bible's open to Acts chapter 10, you'll see the account of this beginning in verse 8 and 9. Uh, in verse 9, it says this, on the next day as they were on their way, this are, these are the men that, that uh, um, Cornelius had sent to find Peter. On the next day, as they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, but he became hungry and was desiring to eat. But while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance. I identify with this because this happens to me all the time. While people are cooking food, I fall into a trance. That means I, I take a nap before it's time to eat. And he saw the sky opened up and an object like a great sheet coming down. Now imagine this, if you would, this great sheet lowered by four corners to the ground. And there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the air. Now, this does not sound appetizing to anybody, but it certainly doesn't sound appetizing to Peter. A voice came to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything unholy and unclean. Again, a voice came to him a second time, but God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. This happened three times. And immediately the object was taken up into the sky. Now, while Peter was greatly perplexed in mind as to what the vision that he had seen might be, behold, the men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions for Simon's house, appeared at the gate. Now, this is divine timing here. This is not a coincidence. The men arrive about the time Peter's trying to figure out what God's saying. Isn't that awesome? And calling out, they were asking whether Simon, who was also called Peter, was staying there. And while Peter was reflecting on the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. In other words, to get up and go out and talk to them. While God prepares Cornelius, he does a greater work of preparation for Peter. 
Now, if you're a believer of Jesus Christ today, if you've made a commitment to Christ, if you're a follower of Christ, this is you. And this is me. It's amazing that God has to do such a preparatory work for us to share the best news in the world. But he does. He has to get us over our inhibitions, over our reluctance, over our apathy. Whatever it is, he has to get us over. He has to work in an extraordinary way to get us ready and filled enough with enough faith to say, I believe I should share the good news of Christ with this guy right here. God is always at work helping us do that. I'm thankful that God helps us do that because it's such an important thing. God did not share the good news himself. He did not send an angel to share the good news, but he answered the prayer of Cornelius, I'll send someone. I have to tell you today, the really important thing about this text and about us in this room is that God has sent someone, and that someone is us. That someone is you, just as it was Peter. So what's going on? Shouldn't Peter be ready? I mean, having been at Pentecost, having seen the, the resurrection of Jesus, having seen Jesus die on the, on the cross for, for our sins, having been in the Last Supper with Christ, where he said, this is my body and this is my blood which was shed for you. Shouldn't Peter be ready? But Peter's not ready. He's ready at Pentecost because those are his people largely. They're Jewish people. But he's not ready now. Because these people are Gentile people. And the vision with a vision that helped him see that God desires all to be saved. Now, if you read about the vision, do a little study on that, you'll see it was both about dietary laws and interacting with the Gentiles. Really, the, the crawling creatures has to do with things that were unclean, animals that were unclean to eat in the Old Testament times. In the Old Testament times, part of what distinguished Israel from every other nation was their dietary laws as well as their ways of worship. But here God is affirming that changing dietary laws was done in part to open doors to the Gentile world coming to Christ. After all, you can't really draw close to someone if you can't eat with them. You can't draw close to someone if you can't get over that kind of thing. As repulsive as that sheep being lowered with all kinds of crawling things in it, all kinds of swarming things, one translation says, certainly... The idea that God was giving him was not just about what you eat, but in the end, it's about what you see as repulsive or not as repulsive. And to the Jewish mind, those who did not know Christ, those who did not know the one true God, were repulsive. So the sheets coming down and the swarming things, the crawling creatures, and I have to say, um, that's not appetizing to me either. I, I like certain things to eat, but crawling creatures are not among them. I haven't eaten a lizard and I don't know how long, right? This repulsive thing. Let me just say, that kind of thing is kind of repulsive to think about, but there are also people in this world that to many of us who have some religion in our life seem repulsive. They don't think the same way we think. They don't espouse the same values we espouse. They don't look the same way we look. They don't dress the same way we dress. And so those people are sometimes repulsive to us in the same way that they were repulsive to Peter in that day and time. Now, let's not be too harsh on Peter because he was raised in a religious society. But so were many of us. And part of the message that God was giving to Peter is, I've declared that there is nothing unclean, that all can come to faith in Jesus 
who will come to faith in Jesus. Let me just say this to you today, to all of us today. It doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter how far from God you may think they are, how far from religion, how far from you they may are, may be. Let me tell you, God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Are you with me today? Aren't you glad God desired you to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth no matter how far you were from God? Aren't you glad that whoever it is on planet earth that will turn and respond by faith to Jesus, they can have their sins forgiven, be given the gift of eternal life? That's the purpose of the vision that God was giving this man right here, Peter. And as is so often the habit, God has to put Peter to sleep in a trance before he really understands this. In essence, if I summarize this, Peter comes to terms with his own prejudices and realizes that human barriers have no place with God. So we have to get over our reluctance, over our silence, over our apathy to represent God well. And sometimes God has to sideline us to do that. Have you ever noticed the number of times in the Bible where God sidelined someone in order to get a truth across to them? He began in the very beginning with Adam. He put Adam to sleep, took a rib out of his side in order to create woman. Paul, whose name was Saul before his conversion to Christ, was on the road to Damascus. He, he was blinded by a great light so that he couldn't move, he couldn't do anything so that God would speak to him and he would hear. And there you have Peter. Peter placed in a trance so that he would see this vision that God was giving him all so that God would get our attention, our undivided attention and say, I want all mankind to know about the Savior Jesus. That's a really, really big deal to us. Because of who we are at the church of Jesus Christ and because of where we are in probably the most diverse place in America. Many of you know that I have um, an older daughter. My oldest daughter's name is Carrie, and she married a guy named Sid. His full name is Sidrath Gudududi. So you know he didn't grow up in Mayberry RFD, right? He's from India. And when they married, we met this incredible guy. And, uh, of course, we love him. He's my son-in-law. But we were able to go and have the oath ceremony for his citizenship this last week. And it was really an, an amazing time. Almost 3,000 3, people were there at that citizenship oath swearing. And there were about 800 of them that were actually taking the oath. And then the rest were family and friends like us. And it was really an amazing moment for all these people from all these nations in the world. And as part of the ceremony, they asked people to stand from whatever nation they were when they called the nation's name out. And I mean, it went on and on and on and on for a long time. The whole world has come to our door. And then they had them swear an oath. They held their hand up and swore an oath to become citizens of the United States of America. And then we stood up with them and we uh, said the Pledge of Allegiance together with them. And then we sang the national anthem with them. I was pretty cool, but what, what the picture was was here is someone from another nation. Now they're part of our nation. Now we're all one nation. You know, that's kind of what God was doing with Cornelius. Peter, I want you, a member of the citizen of heaven, to come talk to this man named Cornelius who's seeking me but not there yet. I want you to bring him together with your witnesses and his family and tell him about Jesus Christ. And then you'll be one kingdom and one family. That's what he did. 
What an amazing opportunity we have for the world to come to our doorstep. And I've said this over and over, but we really need to be aware the world has come to our doorstep. The road you have to go down is not the road to another nation. It's the road down your, your, your neighborhood, down your street where people from all over the world have moved here, some who do not know Christ. And we are his witnesses. And God is spending great amounts of time preparing us for that supreme opportunity to be witnesses of Jesus Christ. So how do we do this with people around us? Well, I think Peter's experience gives us some principles. Let me give you four of them real quickly. First of all, like Peter, we merge into their lives by making time. We merge into the highways that they're on. We merge into their their workplaces, into their neighborhoods. We merge into their time by making time for them. The scripture says in verse 20 when he was called, he was called to accompany them without misgivings. God says this to Peter, for I've sent them myself. God said, I'm sending these people to you. They're going to come to your doorstep and they're going to knock on your door. And I want you to get up and go with them wherever they go, wherever they're from. You go with them so that you can tell the good news to them. Now, this was not a small commitment because they walked 30 miles together as a group. And for four days, the next four days, Peter obeyed as we should obey and told them the good news of Jesus Christ. He was willing at that point to do anything that God called him to to share the gospel. And so should we. What an incredible privilege. I did an informal survey this last week on Facebook. So it's not scientific, right? And I asked the question of the thousands of people that are on the Facebook, and whoever would answer, I took their answer and categorized it. But the question is, what did God do to prepare your heart for salvation? What, what do you remember uh, happening in your heart, and who do you remember being around you before you came to faith in Christ? Very informal survey. Um, had about 160 different responses, and they were extraordinarily uh, meaningful and interesting thing. I categorized them and basically grouped them together. Let me just share three of the responses with you. 10% of the people that answered the question, what did God use to prepare you for salvation, said God used friends. God used my friends. He used people at work. He used people in my neighborhood. He used people that I, that I knew to talk to me, I could look at their lives and I could hear what they said. God used my friends. 10% of people that responded. And again, it's not a scientific survey. Uh, a lot of people who follow me on Facebook are, are Christians. A lot of people who, are, are, who follow me are not. Some are part of this church. Some are parts of other churches. But the bottom line is, out of all these responses, friends was a high-ranking category. How many friends do you have? How many neighbors do you have around you that need Christ? Good question to ask you today. Beyond that, 22% said, when I experienced loss or enlightenment, or I went through some traumatic time in my life, I knew I needed something more than I had. 22% said, it was through that experience that I reached out and someone told me about Christ and I came to faith. That doesn't surprise me at all. Many times, people are at a crossroads of life. Sometimes they respond religiously. Sometimes they respond irreligiously, but they're trying to fill their life with something. They're trying to get answers. And, and 22% said, I was at that kind of point in my life. I desperately needed to know God. And I reached out and somebody helped me. A whopping 58%, listen to this, 
Nearly 60% said, my family and my church prepared me for salvation. Now, at first I thought, well, that's not surprising, but is it significant? And the answer is absolutely significant. Because in that answer, what you're seeing is that family talked about the Lord at home, talked about salvation, talked about prayer, and church where people sat down and had interactions and friendship, people working with children and students and preschoolers and people in Sunday school classes talking about the Lord prepared them to give their lives to Jesus Christ. That means that I need to make time for friends. I need to make time for prayer for those going through those, those crossroads type experiences in their life. But I also need to prepare by serving family and serving church. One guy answered this way. He said this. He said, what prepared my heart before salvation? And I'm quoting him now. Little old ladies with smiling faces. Bible stories and songs about Jesus. A mother who taught me about the Lord and biblical preaching that got through this young heart and got through this young mind. I think that's a classic answer. So I ask this question. Are you ready to serve your friends? Are you ready to serve through prayer people that are going through hardships in life? Are you ready to serve in the church and serve in the family? Because when you step up and make time for people, God uses you as a conduit for the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you talk about Jesus, when you talk about what he means to you, it impacts somebody else's life. We merge into their lives by making time. Secondly, we merge into their lives by making conversation. In verse 22 and verse 23, when, when Peter gets there, they ask him the question, what is the reason for which you have come? In other words, why are you here 30 miles from home? What brought you here? Uh, like my friend, friend Ron Proctor often says, why are you taking up space and using oxygen? In other words, what's your purpose in life? Why are you here? Well, Peter had no, no doubts about why he was there. He was there to share the good news of Jesus Christ, and so that's what he was prepared to do. But sometimes purpose gets lost in our lives. We're so busy. We're doing so many things. We're going here and there. We're entertaining ourselves. We're busy. We're, we're doing so many things. But do you know that your purpose re really never strays far from what Peter's purpose was in that day and time, and that is to be witnesses of Jesus Christ. Whatever else we're called to do, whatever else we have on our list, whatever else is on our schedule, we are above all else to be witnesses of Jesus Christ. What an incredible opportunity we have Merge into their lives by talking about what Christ has done in their life. Number three, we merge into their lives by making friends. By verse 33, by the time you get to the end of this little story, what's going on is, is that Cornelius has brought all of his friends in and all of his family, and all of a sudden Cornelius' connections are the audience for Peter's message. So Peter doesn't just share with Cornelius, but with his friends and his family members. And then later on it says, we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And they have this baptism at the end of all this because all of them come to faith who were there. And it ushered the gospel into the Gentile world. Very significant. And then number four, we merged into their lives by making disciples. They didn't just stop there. Look in verse 44 of the text. This is the last thing. This is what brings us to the place of the end of this story, even though it echoes on into the church and the impact felt in the church was huge in chapter 11. But in verse 44 of chapter 10, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fed upon those who were listening to the message. 
And all the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed. These were the religious Jewish people who'd come to faith in Christ, and they were stunned because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. It goes on and says, For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God, which always happened when the gospel came to a new culture. And then verse 47, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have just received the Holy Spirit as we did, can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and they asked them to stay on for a few days. So that is an amazing moment. Peter's not even through preaching, and the Holy Spirit is convicting people, falling on people's lives. They're standing up and responding to the gospel, and then they say, where's water? Where's water? We've got to baptize these people because they've come to faith in the same way we did, and not only are they baptized that day, but the picture shows us that there they are staying for a few days more, taking next steps with these brand new believers so they can grow in Christ. Make time by merging into their lives to make disciples of those around us. Why am I preaching about this? Because this is how the gospel spreads. This is how it moves from the church to everyone outside the church. You know, a few years ago, I was in Irving, Texas, pastoring there back in the 90s. And uh, the police department there in Irving, for some reason, we got connected with them in a good way. And uh, so I had several friends that were police officers, discipled several officers, went patrolling with them sometimes. And so of those police officers, they had a passion for their police department. About that time, uh, there was a bad shooting in Irving, and a police officer had died along with several others. And it really hit the department hard. And so our police officers were saying, how can we make an impact on the department? These guys are so broken over the loss of this officer. They began prayer meetings in the, uh, in the police department. And I was never invited to those. A preacher would spoil it all, right? So they uh, wanted to have it themselves, and they had a phenomenal time. And out of that, they started home groups. And officers were meeting with other officers in their homes and talking about solutions to life, how to be forgiven of sins, how to have eternal life. And I was invited to one of the homes. The home was the home of a police officer, a detective that was not a believer. But he wanted to host it so he could control the messaging. He didn't want anything crazy going on. So he just invited them all to his house. His name was Mike Carey. He was about 6'3", weighed about 300 pounds, shaved head, goatee, very intimidating kind of guy. And after about three weeks of meeting in the home with them, uh, one day at the conclusion of the lesson, Mike said, everybody else leave. I want John to stay. I thought, I didn't sign up for this. I'm a preacher. I belong in church. I don't belong in a madman's home. And everybody left. I mean, they obeyed his command, his order. Out they went. He turned to me, brought his wife in the room. He said, I want to know how to get saved right now. And I said, well, we began by kneeling. And he said, let's get on our knees. And he invited Christ into his life, he and his wife. And I baptized him later. Um, he became a strong disciple of Jesus Christ because those police officers had merged into his life, because they had planted seeds of the gospel, because they had become friends to him, because they overcame all the intimidation and all the barriers that were in front of them in order to say to Mike Keery, Mike, you need Jesus. We're scared to death to tell you that, but you need him. <laughs> and he came to faith in Christ. As long as I pastored that church, he served there. I saw him a few years ago, and he continued to serve the Lord. That's what's going on in the book of Acts. That's what's going on here. That's what needs to happen. And let me ask you this question. Who is God telling you to go to? 
How is God preparing you? Will you say yes? Will you invite them to come with you to worship the God you love so much so they can see you worship the God you love so much. They can see you study about the God you love in the same way that you connect with them about the things they love. Bring them to see how you respond to the God you love. Let them see you open your Bible. Let them see you find hope in the Scriptures and hope in the Holy Spirit in your life. And then watch God use you and your church and your Christian friends to reach your friends who have yet to know Christ. Get on the road. Go the 30 miles necessary to obey God. You'll be astounded at how God has prepared the hearts of other people for this message of Christ. I want you to stand with me. And I want us to have a closing word of prayer in just a moment. I remind you of these books as we leave. You'll find those in our guest reception center if you're interested in those. More than anything else, I want us to remember that this text is calling us to be witnesses. I'm going to invite those who will be at the front to be prayer warriors, prayer partners to come on up right now. It may be that you want to talk to somebody after the service and after I pray. Uh, Todd Parr will come up and instruct us about what's next. But I want you to have freedom to come and talk to somebody about anything I've said today, about anything God is working in your heart about. These people who will be here to talk to you about that. I'll invite you to the guest reception room in a few moments to meet you as well. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, I want to thank you that you give us an incredible opportunity to influence those around us the way Peter did. And Father, I know that as you prepare others, you're preparing us as well. So Father, help us to be willing, to be ready, to be prepared. Help us, God, to be faithful, to open our mouths and to share when the time comes to share. And Lord, as we go out of this place today, help us to realize what our mission is. I understand you're going to use us in some significant way. I ask this in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.